Hey everyone, my name is Matt Boyd and I'm the lead pastor here at Sojourn Church. Sojourn is a church that's committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. We hope that this sermon both inspires you and challenges you to live a life of intentionality where you seek to make disciples. If you'd like to learn more about our church family, you can go online and check out our website at sojournpdx.org. Enjoy this sermon. Good evening. If you're new to Sojourn, let me say welcome. My name is Matt, and I'm one of the leaders here at Sojourn Church. Uh, We have been in the book of Ephesians for about three months now. It's hard to believe, at least for me, that we've been in there that long. Series we've been calling United in Christ. And today we're going to come to our conclusion. Um, In fact, next week we're going to start our, what I'm calling our summer series, and we're going to have a guest preacher all the way from Southwest Florida, a guy named by Ricky, named Ricky Lindsay. And we'll have our first summer mission team in town. And so we'll be doing a cookout after the service, as you saw in the announcement. So make sure if you don't at least come to the service, you come to the cookout, but hopefully you can come to both, invite friends. If you don't think they'd be comfortable in this environment, as Tyler said, then just invite them to the cookout, and that's fine because we get to rub shoulders with people here in our community. Um, as we get started tonight, I want to share a story that wasn't actually meant to line up with Memorial Day, but as I'm looking at the calendar and we're figuring out Easter in different weeks, I didn't realize today would be the concluding of the book of Ephesians, which happens to fall on Memorial Day weekend, and so the opening story kind of is fitting for the weekend that our country's uh, celebrating. So in order to set the tone, Tuesday, June 6, 1944, 6.30 a.m., 5,000 ships carrying 160,000 Allied troops approached the southern beaches in France for the largest invasion in modern history, what we now know as D-Day. Some of the men who survived the invasion said they remember the steady stream of exhortations being broadcast over the ship's intercoms in the final minutes as the ships approached the French beaches. Fight to get your troops ashore. Fight to save your lives. And if you've got any strength left, fight to save yourself. We may die on the sands of France, but we will never turn back. Another one. This is it. Pick it up. Put it on. You've got a one-way ticket, and this is the end of the line. Over 2,500 Americans died that day, many in the span of about 15 minutes. As the boats reached the shores, disembarking soldiers literally had to crawl over the bodies of other soldiers to get ashore. Um, Images like this make us grateful for the men and women who have given their lives for the cause of freedom. But I share it to emphasize that the men who approached the beach at Normandy that day had no delusions about what they were walking into. None of them thought that they were going to an exotic beach vacation in France. They knew they were walking head first into an onslaught of an enemy who wanted nothing more than to destroy them. As we look at the end of the book of Ephesians, what Paul is going to do for us tonight is he's going to pull back the curtain. And he's going he's gonna to say, many of us are approaching life as if we're on a vacation. And, and we think of life in this way. How can we make it more comfortable for ourselves? And Paul's going, there's no way around this. If you're in Christ, if you are a Christ follower, if you are a Christian, you are at war. And rather than treating like life like a playground, we need to be treating it like a battleground. And you might wish all day long that it were a playground. Most of us work that way. We try to find the easiest job we can get or the job that allows us to have the most free time and the most flexibility to do these things. And we might miss that all day long, but it doesn't change the fact that we are in a spiritual war. And unless we wake up to that, we'll probably end up as one of the casualties. Think for a minute. How silly would it have been for those soldiers to show up on D-Day with a beach towel and a ducky as if they're just going out to chill at the beach? My family was at Cannon Beach on Monday and Tuesday of this week, and so even though it's cold on our coast, you, you know, we can kind of relate. The kids are flying kites, and we're sitting out enjoying the sunshine before it got clouded over. But these soldiers didn't show up that way. But that's how many of us are spiritually showing up for the battle that we're in. 
I think it's a good reminder for us as we get started on the front end that the context of what this letter was written to, to the church at Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, was similar to this context that we find ourselves in tonight. It was a challenging place to live as a Christ follower. We've looked at that every single week. And the main idea that we're going to see tonight is that Paul is going to call believers, those in Christ, to stand firm in Christ in the midst of this spiritual warfare by God's power, by God's army, and in constant prayer. So on the front end, I want to tell you, sojourners, tonight, stand firm in Christ in the middle of a spiritual warfare by God's power, not by your power, but by God's power, with God's armor on, which we're going to look at tonight, and in constant prayer. So Paul is going to conclude his exhortations with instructions for both the Ephesians and for us. This entire letter has been one long survival guide that gives us the tools that we need to be sustained in the Christian life, regardless of the context where we find ourselves. So you may be visiting town and say, well, I'm not in this context. I'm somewhere else. Maybe I'm off at school. That's okay. Regardless of where you find yourself, Paul is giving you tools here. And this passage tonight will serve as a climatic conclusion to an amazing letter. I don't know about you guys, but I've loved being in the book of Ephesians. This, thing, this book has been so life-giving for me. And the armor of God, it doesn't come out of nowhere. It's not like, oh, by the way, here's this stuff on the side. There's a closet that I found in the basement, and we can, we can put this stuff on. Paul's alluded to this all throughout the entire letter. And now he's just kind of getting very pointed, saying here is what you need to put on in order to live out your identity in Christ. And he's going to provide a closing exhortation for us with very vivid imagery. The concluding set of verses will be broken down into three subsections. First, we're going to look at the Lord's strength. And that's really where where we win the battle. It's, It's not us who wins it. Christ has already won the battle. Right? We celebrated that at Easter a few weeks ago. So the battle's already been won. Second, we're going to look at what it means to stand firm in the strength of Christ. And then third, we're going to focus on being constant in prayer. If you have your Bibles and haven't already, turn to Ephesians Chapter 6, we'll start in verse 10. If you don't own a Bible or don't have a Bible and you want one, we do have blue Bibles on the table in the back. If you don't own it, you're welcome to keep it or if you just want to use it tonight. And then uh, I believe the words will be on the screen over here next to me as well. Uh, Before we get started, let me pray for us and then we'll, we'll proceed with the verses. God, we want to come to you once again. Just thank you for your love in our lives. God, this has been an incredible letter for us to look through and work through as a church as we've looked at you being united under Jesus, united in Christ. And God asked tonight, as we conclude this book, to conclude this letter, that your spirit would be here, would be present among us, that you'll recall things to memory that you've taught us throughout these last several weeks. And God, that we would leave here tonight recognizing the battle's already been won in you, through you, but seeing the place that you've called us by putting on this armor God, and, and, and being constant in prayer as we live out our call as, as missionaries here in the city of Portland. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Look at me at verse 10, chapter 6. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So Paul signals his conclusion of the letter by starting out with the word, finally. This is similar to when I get towards the end of a sermon. I may say, in conclusion, or I may even say the word, finally. And many of you breathe a sigh of relief. You're like, oh, finally. He's done talking. He's gone a little bit longer this week. And maybe the Ephesians are the same way. Maybe they're, they're like, yes, he's finally getting into this letter. But I get the sense 
that they were taking every single word that he wrote, every single word that he said to heart, as they recognized, man, we need these instructions from Paul because it's going to help us determine the type of church that we want to be. And that's really why we've been, this is the first book that we've gone through an entire book as a church. We're still a very new church, and we've done some topical series, and we've looked at some different things, but this was the first book of the Bible that I really felt like God wanted us to work through to decide what type of church is it that sojourn is going to be. And we want to be defined as a church defined by the Bible, and what a better book to look at than the book of Ephesians. It's such a practical life book. Uh, the last few weeks, even although it's difficult to look at these things at times, it's just practical. It's talking about marriage and, and, and you know, do you get drunk or do you not get drunk and how to parent and all of these different things. It's like, man, I this is real life stuff. Like, I deal with this. This isn't some theory up in the clouds. This isn't something old in a history book, but it's very relevant to the life that I'm living in 2019, and it should be really relevant to you as well. And hopefully by now you're at a place where you recognize that we cannot stand against, stand on our own against the spiritual powers around us. And we are in a spiritual battle. Now, if you're not a Christ follower, or you're not sure, you might hear that and think that's really weird. But I bet at the same time you love watching movies about the demonic and things like Harry Potter and all that. And you find all the magic and all, the, all of that type of stuff and, and you don't think twice about it. I'm telling you, we are in a spiritual battle. And if you are in Christ and you are a Christian and you don't think it and you don't sense it, then there may be something else going on. Right? I'm not the one to sit here and judge, but I say, if you don't feel that around you, then I might, I might say, what is it that, that you are calloused over in your life and you're not allowing God to expose that in your heart? Or maybe there's just something else going on altogether. So Paul's going to set this up. And he's going to set the battle up for by telling us how to be strong. So look at verse 11. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So we see here that a confession of our helplessness apart from God precedes putting on the armor. So we don't just start out by just saying, let me throw this stuff on. That's how I operate. I've told you guys that. I'm, I'm more of a doer. So I'm like, okay, put on the armor. Where's the armor? Is it hanging out? Let me go and put it on. It's like, no, we need to start saying, God, I'm helpless apart from you. So we, we need you. We recognize that. Now put on the whole armor of God. And you'll know that it happens the opposite way when one is boasting and works. When you hear someone all about, it's all about them. Right? Not about Jesus, but it's about them. And often when I sense spiritual warfare around me the most is the times I have not recognized my helpless state before God and asked for his help first. It's in these moments that I like to pretend I have it all together. And I'm pretty transparent here. You guys have learned that by now. There's a lot of those moments. I'm not, I'm, I may not be subconsciously saying it, but it's like, okay, I was operating out of a posture that I had it all together and that I didn't need God in that moment. And usually I fall flat on my face. I realize, man, I was trying to do it in my own strength again. I've told you guys that about trying to plant sojourn. Like, I'll find myself multiple times where I'm just like, okay, God, I give up. I, I surrender this to you because I can't do it. I keep proclaiming Jesus, build your church, but I'm working like it's my job. And, and going, okay. And then I realize, man, now I'm in a better posture because now God's shaping me and he's molding me. And hopefully you're part of that as well. Rosie Marie Miller said, the first real enemy in your life is always your own unsubmitted self-life. To struggle against your own agendas and passions is at the heart of spiritual warfare. The second real enemy is Satan. The one who hates you without compromise is always the power of darkness. Wherever there is a self-praising pride, the devil has much, much influence. So the armor we wear is God's armor, and you will never win and feel defeated when you're using your own armor. The days that I'm feeling most defeated is when I know that it's operating. I put on Matt's armor. That's the day I went to Matt's closet and said, okay, I'm going to throw this stuff on. Maybe you went to your closet, which can't withstand much. And before we get confused about who our battle's with, you know, we kind of hear this battle language and people get really nervous. And sometimes we misinterpret how we approach the battle language. So don't, let's not get confused about who it's with. Paul, Paul tells us. He fills us in, thankfully. 
He says in verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. C.S. Lewis, he said, when it comes to the demonic, people usually fall into one of two errors. Either they take him altogether too seriously, or they do not take him seriously enough. And my guess is that all of us in here fall into one of those two categories, depending on your background. I grew up in a tradition that didn't take the demonic too seriously. And my wife grew up in a tradition that took the demonic very seriously, probably too too seriously. Like, if you sneeze, it was like, whoa, the devil's on you. (laughs) And so there's there's kind of the two extremes lurking nearby. And here's the reality, though. Satan could care less. Listen, let's bring it in. Satan could care less whether or not you believe in him. Because he's not after your recognition. He's after your destruction. So you might be sitting there saying, I don't don't believe in Satan. I don't believe in demons. I don't believe in the demonic. Well, guess what? They don't care because they're after your destruction. They're not after your recognition of them. Andy Stanley says, if you want to see the evidence for the demonic, you won't find it by looking through a microscope, but by looking in the rearview mirror. Not at your kids for those of you who have kids, but in the rearview mirror of your life, looking back at your temptations, or maybe your current ones, what are those areas of struggle that you have? That's probably an area that the, the enemy's working and cultivating in your life. That thing that you keep going back to, thing that you've asked for forgiveness for so many times, and you've, you've, you've sworn up and down, I'll never do it again. You maybe even went to confession at a Catholic church because you just weren't sure if a Protestant church was going to do it for you. And you keep returning. That's probably an area where the enemy's working in your life. Think about the timing of things in your life. Man, things are going great. I've left that struggle behind. I haven't done that thing in five years. And all of a sudden, you find yourself and you trip up. Do you not? Because you trick yourself. And then the enemy's like, ooh, now Matt's getting prideful. He's arrogant. He thinks he's over that. (laughs) Watch this. Have you ever been somewhere and you've just felt the presence of the demonic? Maybe you haven't been. I know I have been. I remember walking the streets of Bangkok, Thailand, not realizing the guest house where we're staying happens to be in the middle of the red light district. If you're not familiar with the red light district, it's where you find all kinds of sex slavery and massage parlors that aren't actually massages and they lead to other things. That is a demonic place. I, I tell you, like, that is not a work of God and that is not glorifying to God. So we find ourselves staying in this place. Andrea decides she's going to go bathe our older two children when I had two at the time. And so I go out to get dinner, takeout for us. That was a bad idea to let me walk those streets because there was, there was women practically throwing themselves at me and then sometimes men who were dressed like women throwing themselves at me. And it was just, I could just sense this is not glorifying to God. There is some darkness going on. There's a battle waging on around me. But the battle, it wasn't the sex workers of the people of Bangkok that my battle was against, which is why this verse is so important for us. It keeps things in proper perspective, especially as we deal with this language of war. The people around us, though they may be influenced by the enemy, because right now you're probably thinking of coworkers or neighbors or people who used to be your friends, and thinking, that's it, that's the demonic. It's that person who I had that argument with at work this week. That's the guy who always sets the thing over here, and I want it to be set over here. That's, that's not what this is saying. They may be influenced by the enemy, but they're not the enemy. Our battle is not against our neighbors. It's not against our coworkers. It's not against our friends that do not follow Jesus. But it's against who? It tells us. It's against rulers. It's against authorities. It's against cosmic powers. If you remember back to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, it says that so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Our battle is against spiritual forces of evil. Now, how many of you feel defeated just reading this list? It says that we are wrestling against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers, and spiritual forces of evil. Have you guys ever seen me wrestle? I mean, I can take down my kids, 
but rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, and spiritual forces. I mean, that, that just makes me want to just, okay, I'm, I'm tapped out. Like, where's, ring the bell now. Sounds like we're some kind of Frodo Baggins type of character in Lord of the Rings. Like, how are we actually supposed to do this? I mean, they, I went to seminary. I've got two master's degrees, but they didn't teach me this. Like, this, this whole, like, fighting against cosmic, like, when, where was that class? I didn't see it on my, on my list of classes to take. Scripture makes it clear that the enemy, all of these ways that are described here, is no match for the Lord who has disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them in open shame by triumphant victory over them. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Paul then moves into instruction in in chapter 13. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Because of our enemies, our subhuman spiritual forces, we cannot rely upon, upon human resources, as many of us do. We can't rely upon the normal things. Our cell phone and Google aren't going to answer how to fight these enemies, although you can find a resource, which hopefully will be the Bible, that would tell you how to do it. But we must take up the whole armor of God. This divine armor and the sword of the Spirit are made available to every single Christ follower. So if you are in Christ, if you consider yourself a Christ follower, this is available to you, every single one of you. Isaiah 59:17 tells us, He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Paul is using language of battle because we are in a real spiritual battle. If you ever watch an old war movie, you've seen the scenes of soldiers lining up and charging the enemy. And so Paul portrays us, Christians, as soldiers lining up and holding fast against the enemy's charge. The church is not an audience, but it is an army. So, so think about it. Yes, we're a family, and we talk about family a lot, but we're in a, we're in a battle at the same time. So as a family, we also turn into this, this army. And it's not just our church, but like churches like Woodstock Community Church and Eastbridge Church that we do joint worship nights with. Like in a way, that's when we're uniting and saying, like, okay, we, you know, we've got the army, we've got the navy, and all these other military branches are like coming together. It's like we are soldiers, and we're in this battle together. And we happen to be in this battle in the city of Portland, where God has placed us all. And this is what we're doing right here in a gathering, isn't it? This is not church. Let me, let me say that again. This is not church. So if you said, man, I want to check off a box this week, and it's Memorial Day weekend, so you know you get bonus points if you go to a church service on Memorial Day weekend. Because we're in Oregon. You could be camping. You could be hiking. You could be at a lake. In fact, that's what I used to do every Memorial Day weekend. And I remember a few years ago thinking, man, eventually I'm probably going to be doing this like Sunday gatherings where I'm the guy teaching so I can't get out of it. And here I am. It's happened. And so you get bonus points for coming to this. But this is not church. This is one aspect of church. And just, if you, if you watch those movies of, the, of old soldiers, a lot of times they would come back from the battlefield, they're wounded, they're getting patched up. If it's cold, they're wanting to get hot coffee or tea, and they're gathering around the fire after a long day of battle to warm up. If you've, if you've seen those scenes, they want to rest and they want to get some nourishment before returning to the battlefield. And that's kind of what we're doing here. That's what we get to do every Sunday. That's why I value the gathering. This is a time where it's like, you know what, let's, let's gather around. 
some like-mindedness. Now, we're, we're all, all people are welcome, right? Look at our website. Everyone's welcome to come take this journey of learning what it means to follow Jesus. But for those that are in Christ, this is why you should want to prioritize this, because we get to come together and get refreshed and get nourished. We get to fellowship. We get, we get to celebrate the Lord's Supper, have some teaching from the Word, worship through song. This is when we come up for a breath of fresh air. You know, it's like, ah, oh, finally I can breathe from the long week that I just had, and I can kind of leave everything behind me, and, and, and there's, there's new morning mercies for me, and I get to do this collectively with the body of Christ. Now, in section 2, Paul is going to transition in verses 14 through 17, and he's going to focus on Christians standing firm. He's told us now, put on the whole armor of God, and now he's going to really focus on this idea of standing firm, and he's going to reiterate the charge to stand in the face of dreaded spiritual enemies because the Lord has not left his people defenseless. So thankfully, God didn't say, here you go, you're in this battle, and I'm going to be over here doing something else. He's like, no, I'm, I'm not going to leave you defenseless. I'm going to be there with you. And it says, we have the complete armor of God from head to foot, which consists of the, the belt, the breastplate, the shoes, the shield, the helmet, and the sword. These are, of course, are going to be metaphors for the spiritual resources given to us in Christ, namely the truth, the righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, and the word of God. And as mentioned in the note earlier, there are aspects of God, God's and the Messiah's own character and work, as we depict it in the verse in Isaiah, with which Christians are now equipped. So pick up with me in verse 14. Paul says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So Paul tells us a simple order. He says, stand. And by standing, you are withstanding the enemy as reference in verses 11 and 13. And he says, and do not give in to fear. We then have the whole armor of God listed out for us, which I want us to real briefly kind of break that down. The first thing he says is we have the belt of truth, which the basic idea is be prepared and be ready with the truth. Right beliefs are essential for engaging the enemy. Hear that again. Right beliefs are essential for engaging the enemy. I was talking to a pastor just yesterday who's just grieved by former church members. He, he used to pastor in the middle of the country. He's just been grieved by watching different people kind of leave the faith and, and buy into these, these false doctrines, which Paul talks about earlier in Ephesians. He's just grieved by that. And so we need to be, we need to be equipped with right beliefs in order to engage the enemy. So we're not tossed to, uh, to and fro from every, every new idea and teaching that comes about. I heard one pastor say it this way. Your belt goes around your core. It holds all your weapons and the rest of your armor in place. Now, as far as the metaphor goes, this one is really important because nobody wants to go into battle with their pants down, right? It, it, it's kind of the essential piece, right? Now, most of you know, because I've probably told you I've lost some weight. Now, these are, these are newer pants, so they're not as big, but some of my pants are a little bit loose now. So I've had to, like, I've actually had to holes in my belt, like, right, hold my pants on. You don't want to get caught in battle with your pants down. And so this is very essential. Start out with the belt of truth. You want to have proper doctrine and truth from the Scripture here. The second piece is the breastplate of righteousness. What does this do? It protects us against the, the bows and arrows. Wearing the breastplate of righteousness means allowing nothing to get in the way of our living out the righteousness that God has already given us. That's the key. That it's already yours in Christ. But we've got this breastplate that we're, that we're putting in, um, in front of us. Remember back to week two in this series, we talked about our identity. Being covered with righteousness first means embracing our identity in Christ. And you need to live out of that identity and out of that reality that Christ has given you. The third thing is shoes for your feet which is the readiness given by the gospel of peace. No peace exists like the peace of God that we are given when we're, our relationship with him is restored. 
Confession, I love shoes. And my guess is that you all have different types of shoes. Now, I'm trying to be a minimalist and trying to get rid of things, but I just can't bear to part with certain things. Like, I've got, like, my everyday sneakers that I'm wearing tonight. But I'm not, you know, I'm not going to wear these to play soccer in. I could, but I'm going to slide all around the field, so I'm going to wear soccer cleats. Well, then when I go play basketball, I'm not going to wear soccer cleats because that's really funny, kind of walk around the gym. So we have all types of different types of shoes. And so Paul is applying, hey, you also have a pair of shoes called your gospel shoes. And this is when you take the piece of the gospel to those around you. Now, we're going to really focus heavily on this in the summer months, but think about, once again, your neighbors, your co-workers, those that God has placed you around, maybe it's family members. Like, you are to take this message of the gospel of peace to those people. You are not there by mistake. You may hate your job. You may hate the street you live on. You may not get along with your neighbors. God has placed you there for a reason. By the way, this is not optional. If you are a Christian, this is not like, um, yeah, I'm going to check that box. I'm interested in doing that. Like, no, this isn't optional. You are to be sharing the gospel as you will go about your normal everyday activities where you live, where you work, and where you play. If we get away from this as a church, if you get away from this as a Christ follower, then you're neglecting your call and responsibility to make disciples of all nations, both here and beyond. So this is a non-negotiable. If you're not sure about that one and you're confused about that one, please come and talk with me. And I've told you, this church isn't going to grow on the backs of Matt. It's going to grow on the backs of Jesus. And Jesus has called us all here and he's given us a place. And part of this place is opening our mouths and sharing the gospel with those around us. If you know what the gospel is, simply the good news of Jesus. Once again, we can go out for coffee. We can go for a meal. I can explain that if you're confused by these terms. Next one, the shield of faith. This protects us against flaming darts. Burning arrows were designed to destroy wooden shields and other defense mechanisms, but the shield of faith is able to extinguish the devil's attacks. Attacks like this. How many of you ever deal with worry? Have you ever deal with uh, doubt? Maybe anxiety, just to name a few very common struggles, very common struggles in our day and age. I think social media has made worry, doubt, and anxiety worse. It's just heightened those things. Because now you go back and you check Instagram, you're like, oh, man, I only got five of those little heart things liked. And, and then, man, they posted and they got like 25. But I have just as many followers as they do. Hold on, am I alone in this? Have I? No, I've never done that. I mean, I've heard, I've read about other people doing that. And so it's just been heightened. But, but our shield of faith will protect us against those things. The fifth piece of armor is the helmet of salvation, which is appropriate for faith. Wearing the helmet of salvation gives us hope for when discouragement sets in. Discouragement is going to come. If you haven't already experienced it, it's going to come. It's going to set in. And your head is where you think, and you need to be saturating your thoughts with the good news of Jesus. Put on your helmet on and do not bind to the lies of Satan will tell you. Right? It's easy for our minds to get confused, especially if we're filling our minds with, with garbage and just things of the world. We need to saturate our minds with the gospel. That's why it's a great idea. I'm not setting a rule saying you have to do this. It's a great idea to start your day in prayer. Start your day reading the words that your minds are filled with the thoughts of God. And then the, the, the final piece here is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is spiritual nature of the church's resources. It's nowhere more plain than its reliance upon the Word of God, which is the only offensive, offensive weapon mentioned in this list of spiritual armor. The word of God is to be wielded like a two-edged sword in the mighty power of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So in order to be a disciple maker, you have to first be a good disciple, which means knowing the word of God better than you know anything else. So learn it, read it, Memorize it, meditate on it, so that you're prepared for battle. Let me say that again. Learn it. Memorize it. 
Read it, meditate on it, so that you're prepared for battle. If you say, well, how am, how am I going to be prepared for battle? It's the Word of God, not something that you read on Facebook. The third section that Paul's going to transition into is, is verses 18 through 20. And he's going to tell us, be constant in prayer. Now, prayer isn't specifically really listed as a piece of the armor, and some don't include it as a piece of the armor, but prayer is a non-negotiable in winning spiritual battles. Prayer should be a non-negotiable in the life of a Christ follower. And these verses offer instructions on prayer, which is the main weapon of spiritual warfare. And it's going to explain when we pray, how we pray, and for whom to pray. Pick up in verse 18. It says, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. The reason that the weapons of warfare are spiritual because they are rooted in prayer, which is the most powerful resource to Christians. If you say, man, I don't, one, we have more resources today than they've ever had in, in the history of the world. And so we, we're not going to have a whole lot of excuses for, for why we don't have resources and don't go to these resources of our country, of all things. But prayer is the most powerful resource that we have available to us. And we often think of prayer as, as preparation for ministry. I'm going I'm to pray as I prepare to go and do this. But no, prayer is the ministry. That is something that we can all do. If you say, well, I can't, I can't play keyboard and sing, and I can't lead us a song. Like, okay, you can pray. Well, I can't get up and teach in front of people. Like, I hate standing in front of people. Okay, you can pray. Well, I can't set up. I would argue against you on that one, but I can't do set up. Like, well, you can pray. I can't. You can pray. If there's nothing else you can do is you can pray. And my guess is that most of you probably know that. We know these things. We just don't ever actively live that out. Prayer is to permeate our lives as it tells us to pray at all times with all prayer, with all perseverance, and for the, all the saints, the saints, which is all of us. We've talked about that. All of us. It says, praying in the Spirit is a form of worship that is enabled by the Spirit of God. John 4, verses 23 and 24. It says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Romans 8, 26 and 27 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And so Paul is amplifying his exhortation to prayer. This is why we continuously highlight Tuesday morning prayer, which is hosted by our friends at Door of Hope over in their northeast building. It's, it's a number of churches get together because we recognize that we're in this battle and prayer is where the move of God historically has taken place and where it starts. So you say, when should we pray? At all times, as you're going about your everyday life. One of my favorite things to do on Sundays, regardless if it's raining and cloudy and 45 degrees or on a day like today, is I love walking up here. We live just maybe a mile away. And so I love taking that 15, I walk pretty fast, 15 to 20 minute walk and just kind of observing what's in the neighborhood and just praying and preparing my heart for what we're going to do here on Sunday evening. So as I'm going, you know, it doesn't have to be like you're sitting down, like I'm walking. And perhaps if we continually and urgently interceded for others, as it tells us here, that maybe the enemy would win fewer battles. In other words, praying for others before they face trouble. This means living in such a way that nothing hinders our prayers. This means we need to be aware of the needs of others. That's part of, of being a family is, is, hey, what's going on in your life? Not just say, hey, how are you doing? But what's going on in your life? Are you, are you okay? How'd that make you feel? Is there something I can pray for? And actually pray for it. 
And I'm like most, we're busy. And so sometimes I'll say, is something I pray for? And then I just, cool, and I keep going. So a lot of times I've tried to get into habit, I'll just stop and pray for that person. If I'm on the phone, hey, can I pray for you right now? Or, or you know, as soon as we hang up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you. This happened the other day. A guy called me from Seattle. Say, hey, we're in the trenches together. You know, he's using this lane. We're in the trenches. Can you pray for me? Yes, I can, let me pray for you right now, Sam, before we hang up the phone. How should we pray? We should pray comprehensively and for gospel boldness. Praying in the Spirit also means when we don't know how to pray. And it tells us that. That the Holy Spirit will take up praying in our place. And prayer is where we put into practice what we believe about the gospel. So it's easy to believe the gospel. That's where we put the, into practice what we believe about the gospel. Whom do we pray? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God who teaches us. And, and, and then when we're ineffective in our prayer, he gives us the faith and power that we need to pray. And who do we pray for? It says we pray for all the saints. Pray for those you see in this room. If you're not sure someone's name, ask them. Say, hey, I want to pray for you this week. Pray for other local churches in our area. This, this mission that we're called to and, and starting a church, this isn't about us. It's about the kingdom of God coming to Portland as it is in heaven. And so there's multiple churches. Pray for the other churches. Pray for other church plants. As you see, we're going to do a worship night with a couple of them. Pray for those churches. It's not a competition. We're all in this together. We're linking arms. Pray for local Christian school teachers, regardless if they teach at a Christian school or they teach at a public school. Pray for them because they are in the tra- they're in this battle in a very hard environment. Pray for your pastor. If you consider me your pastor, thank you. Pray for me. If you don't consider me your pastor and you're a praying person, still pray for me. Pray for other area pastors. Pray for church planters. Pray for overseas missionaries. This is a global mission that we're called to. It's a global mission that we're in. That's why we, uh, we have partnerships with, with missionaries all over the world. As you guys know, that one, my wife's from Argentina, so we have relationships there. We pray for those people, and we have partners in India and in Nepal. We pray for those people, and we're hoping to continue those relationships. They need our prayers as we partner together. Chuck Lawless said this, Don't let the enemy win. Put on the armor of God, get a plan, and persevere in prayer for all the saints. It's good advice for us. Paul concludes this letter in verses 21 through 24. He says, So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychius, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to pray for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And so Paul concludes this letter with some closing remarks and a final benediction. And he's, he's sending a beloved brother to really, who, who carried this letter to the Ephesians and to say that you know, this is what's happening with Paul and really as a way to encourage them and kind of update them. And then the final two verses, Paul says, Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Finally, he says, Peace, love with faith, faith and grace. Paul proclaimed in this letter over the last few months that you and me have an identity problem. But God chose you, and he offered hope for you in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus created unity among different people groups. He blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and by doing so, he has given victory over Satan's forces by his power so that we, you and I, don't have to fight for victory over Satan, but from a victory that Jesus has already won and given to us as a gift. Right? That's when you should say amen, because God has already given us the victory. This isn't ours to, to fight for. It's, he's already won it. 
We get to rest in that reality. We get to rest in that fact. We get to celebrate that. And regardless how hard your week's been and how discouraged you are, we get to come in here, we get to gather, get a breath of fresh air, and say, thank you, Jesus, for the work that you have done and are continuing to do. And so we're going to finish by moving into our response time. As we commonly do, we're going to take of the elements of communion of the Lord's Supper. When we break the bread, it's always a great reminder for us of Christ's body that was broken for us on the cross. And as you dip your, your piece of bread into the wine, that's a great reminder for Jesus' blood that was spilt for you and for me and for those in our city around us. If you've never responded to Jesus and you want to know how to do that, the offer is available to you today. And then we'll finish by singing one final song of praise to our Savior. So I'm going to pray for us. We'll respond to the taking of the elements of communion. And then Mandy will come back up and close us through a final song of worship. Thanks for listening to our sermons podcast. We are a church that's committed to the gospel in the context of family living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. If you'd like to learn more about what God is doing in our lives, reach out to us by emailing info at sojournpdx.org or check out our website. We look forward to hearing from you soon.